and we're rolling. Hi. Hi. How are you? I am well. <laughs> it's not a polygraph test. You ain't got to speak in the mic and I don't understand. But I want you to feel like you're being interrogated. I am. You're not being interrogated. Don't put that image out there. I am being interrogated. I-N-T-E-R-R-O-Gated. Wow. Wow. Is that really how you spell interrogated? Yeah, I had to stop because I kind of lost my place after the double R's. Is there two R's in interrogation? It is. No. Yes, mm. it is. It is? God, doggy. Yes, ma'am, it is. No, it's not. But we, we'll talk about that later. Oh. Where is there two R's? Okay, we'll talk about it later. It's two R's and interrogated. There's, there's How not... do you get to the row? How do you get to the gated without the double row? Why you need the double row? Okay, you don't. You don't. Anyway, hi. Hi. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning, which is probably afternoon by now. We got 15 minutes left in the morning with me. I couldn't imagine being in any <laughs> other place. Stop leaning into the Oh, you're going to make people think this is scripted. I can attest that it is not. Oh, God. Thank you. Thank you for your statement. Did I already ask how are you? Yes, you did. I told you that I am well. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to kick you in your shit. Generally, I have questions lined up. Not lined up, but have some sense of direction of where the conversation is going to go. Um, just either based off the person or what they tell me they want to talk about. Because we did not talk about this prior to. I'm going to look to you to help move that direction to where you would like to go. I feel like I've been set up. <laughs> you got to stop sounding like you've been kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, you have not been set up. You volunteered. Okay. <laughs> even you can't even keep a straight face to your antics. But yes, I'm going to look to you to guide the conversation just so you can um, feel safe within this conversation. Because we know each other on a personal level, don't. I'm so glad your face is not, not, not visible. But because we know each other on a personal level, I want to honor some boundaries, and that is why I will look to you for the direction of this conversation. Sounds good. Okay, <laughs> you gotta stop leaning forward. Oh, gosh, you're going to make me touch you. All right. 
by the time this comes out, I think it'll be after the holidays. Probably be at the end of the month or even into 2021. Sounds good. Got any New Year's resolutions? You know, I try not to set resolutions. I try to walk into the year just ready to face and brave what's to come. You know, I didn't expect this coming into 2020, but um, yeah, no resolutions. What did you expect coming into 2020? Nothing, but not this shit, though. Definitely didn't expect this. Um, it's almost like, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And just being able to take whatever comes is is pivotal. It's crucial. Um, yeah. Do you think that as a whole we stayed ready so we wouldn't have to get ready for what happened in 2020? You know, quite honestly, I feel like the anti-COVID and anti-maskers were not ready because they still saying that this is a hoax and so on and so forth and I feel like those who are just like all right give me this mask so when I get home I can take it off like a bra are the ones that actually were already ready so they wouldn't have to get ready even though I feel like COVID has been here prior to when they announced it right now my best friend was sicker than a dog one day and I met her where she was and it just seemed like every symptom of what we know to be COVID now she had then and the months previous so it's just it's almost like it was already here it's already a, a phantom if you will a ghost just looming and now it's appeared so yeah I think when I'm watching special reality shows and they're showing episodes that were filmed prior to or at the beginning of COVID, which March seemed so far away because we're about to approach March again. So March is in like four months versus it's closer to us than it was behind us. And I hope that makes sense. Um, The language that people were using um, about COVID it's difficult to go back to that space and place to figure out where we all were mentally and emotionally. It just seems like a lot of the language was othering language. Yeah. Because it hadn't really hit the U.S. in ways that made it more real. And there was a lot of, a lot of language to me that was a little racist in regards to China or Asia as a whole and that the president just sort of fueled that like China had it didn't tell anyone when we know now that like in December Mm -hmm. because it's called COVID-19 and not COVID-20 it was like hey we got something here it could become bigger be ready because we do business with each other in the G8 the great eight right yeah you saying that reminds me of that meme, you know, when they COVID nineteen versus COVID twenty. We got some here. It reminds me of that gif I should say of had your kids, had your wife. Yes. And I feel like we were hidden from something that really got us, and not even the people 
who have passed away or loved ones who have lost somebody, but the people who are still braving this pandemic at current, like we've had a lot of our civil liberties taken away from us. And if nothing else, you know, I believe in the act of free will and, and having your civil liberties to exercise. And, you know, we really don't have that anymore. I have to be careful how I walk, how I navigate, you know, being, in, you know, not even being in crowded spaces or making sure when I get in the car, hand sanitize, get out the car, hand sanitize, you know. So it's, it's actually held us captive in ways that we possibly couldn't imagine, but in the same time, it brought a lot out too, you know. Hopefully we're all mindful of cleansiness and uh, respective spaces and, you know, just things of that nature. So it's, it's a double negative in a way. Um, I've actually, I know somebody who personally know somebody who has passed of COVID complications and um, to know that she was alone when in her life, she was actually the life of the party and was never alone. Um, it really sits hard and heavy with me that her last breath was without family, without friends, without loved ones. Um, that her last social media post was oxygen below 50 in ICU. I love you. And that was to a friend. And that was the last post she made because hours later she was gone. So, you know, just to think about this when it was really hot and heavy, if you will, March, April, May, June, so on and so forth. Like to know that people died alone before they were able to put iPads and, you know, computers or whatever the case may be inside of these rooms as people were passing. To know that there were so many people who left without that. Um, so many people that sat in refrigerated trucks because funeral homes and, you know, morgues were overran with bodies and, um, it's really disheartening. So when I speak of civil liberties, I mean emotional peace and well-being as well. That's gone. That's gone. I think about the way just our interactions in public has changed. And yesterday I was walking and I dropped my mask and this guy was nice enough to pick it up. But he actually did more harm than good because he picked it up to give it to me. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I was going to put it back on because it dropped on the ground, but it was almost like, no, don't touch it because now I have to touch it because mm -hmm. you touched it. And before it would have been a really sweet gesture to pick up something, so when it dropped, but now it's like, oh, no, don't touch it because now I've touched something that you've touched that I now have to put in the garbage can. Um, so do you think on top of the heavy grief, just just for those who don't know anyone who's been personally impacted or passed away do you think that the pandemic fatigue and the fact that Illinois is having their record days of death in November more than in the beginning and in the summertime is it because we're grieving the autonomy we used to have big time um I know that in the beginning, personally for me, you know, I literally quarantined and like really locked down as much as possible. And even when I grocery shop or I come in and 
wash my groceries off and you know whatnot and even the strongest people will fatigue out at some point and I'm one of those people I consider myself a strong person or you know the good soldier I'm gonna do what I need to do to get through but there was a point where I started just I grocery shop depending on what it was like even prior to the pandemic like soda cans and stuff like that that go in the refrigerator those things were rinsed off milk cartons blah 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 but like down to bags of chips or you know those type of things that we typically boxes of rice you know would get wiped off with a with a Clorox wipe or something and I found myself not doing that anymore at some point you know especially with like those packages that goes in that go in a cabinet or whatever so I think worldwide we are reaching a level of fatigue however we can't give up because we give up these numbers go up so you see the large massive parties I get upset yeah but in the same token whoever orchestrated that and whoever's gone they're tired and it may be an ignorant tire like I don't care what's going on in the world I'm about to go have fun or maybe listen I've been locked down since March I'm about to get out there go out there and do what I do you know whichever way it is it's still a level of fatigue I think that um, that grace that you're extending to those who for those who create a space for these gatherings or these super spreader moments I've been incredibly disappointed but not surprised but still disappointed when I go on my digital platforms and see people from home do normal things that aren't happening here and there's many different factors in that right so it's the fact that that's a rural area and so COVID spread in a rural area is going to look very different than the third largest city in the U.S. Mm -hmm. but I think aside from that, it's also the nonchalantness. And I feel like it's really easy to sit here and judge from 800 miles away. But if I was there, if I was still home, would I be as yeah. cautious as I, as I am now? Because I now live one in a blue state. And I, I'm really sad that that politics come into the conversation of, of a pandemic when, you know, the pandemic isn't deciding who on what party dies. Right. It's anybody and everybody. But living in a blue state typically means that there's a little more resource and thought out plans in regards to the way this pandemic is handled. You know, we we have accessibility to a vaccine because we are a large city. Who knows when the state of South Carolina is going to get, you know, availability to a vaccine. Right. Probably one of the last states because of the numbers and I hear people saying oh the numbers in Atlanta are really low and but we also know that Atlanta never really went on lockdown and when they did you know they almost had Keisha head on a stick yeah you know yeah. and so I think that when thinking about passing judgment on other people from the party that you talked about to the wedding that happened at the hotel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's so easy to sit from your couch and cast judgment, but is that really going to change anything? It's not. 
it's not everybody has their motivations for why they do things or you know um but here's the thing let's talk about that wedding for example where was the hotel administration to say no we're not gonna do this the hotel needs money exactly so it becomes an issue with capitalism just like with everything else that's going on in this pandemic right so they're going to say you know yeah y'all go ahead do your thing but at what cost because now there's sanctions there's fines and you know so on and so forth or i've seen this lady who uh, has a restaurant i think it's up north and right next to her restaurant they were setting up a movie um set but one thing that she didn't realize and this is just me being privy to the process is that that particular movie set they test their uh actors whether they're extras or the actual stars if you will daily before they come in and when they check out they probably spend more money on COVID than anything else on that set like when you sign up you have to have a COVID test when you leave you have to have a COVID test if you're coming back the next day like that's how they operate that's how they run in a restaurant I can't sit around here and expect for you to test me for COVID before I order my food so it's hard it really takes a lot out of people and again when I go back to those civil liberties that's taking resources away from her however you don't have a delivery service so you need to get creative you know so it's just it's it's a it's like the dog chasing his tail the dog is still going to be a dog and tail still is going to be attached even when he catch it so are you going to run in circles aimlessly or purposefully to us it's aimless the dog chasing his tail is aimless to that dog it's the most important thing in the world to chase his tail and catch it damn it i did it I got my tail. So it's depending on what side of the coin you sit on. I I acknowledge that this is typically in Chicago, this is event season. Mm -hmm. For nonprofits, especially, you're getting ready to to see, I would say, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. When it comes down to probably about December, everyone's getting their budgets ready to see whose tickets they're going to buy because there's a season there's a peak season where if your event generates much more revenue and exposure you get this key dates and they're usually in the coldest months of chicago i don't i don't know why um and but then in the spring you're having to fight more because everybody's out because it's spring and people want you to pick their events. So anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of venues that are not being able to be open for their peak season. This is also bridal Christmas. Everyone mm. typically gets engaged around this time. So from a business standpoint, I'm not sure how many people are at that wedding. Maybe about three, two, three hundred. Somewhere in there. Not including staff. Yeah. And vendors. I think I I try to I try to think if that was my situation, would I have my wedding? If I had postponed it in the spring because in remember in March we thought this was only gonna be around for thirty days, mm-hmm. sixty days. If I had postponed my nuptials once and now I feel like there's no end because until January twentieth we don't have a new president, and then he's not going to be able to fix anything. 
Word. Well into 2022, we're going to be wearing masks and socially distancing by the grace of God. Would I still have my wedding? I, I get it. I, I don't know. It's hard. Um, I had a really good friend who had an indoor wedding set up. Um, COVID happened and COVID happened again. Well, it never went away, but it just kept, you know, getting worse. Mm -hmm. So what she ended up doing is an outside wedding downtown. And I thought that was a pretty cool idea. However, with where I stand mentally and emotionally with it, I was supposed to be in the wedding, but I was not uh, for my own personal reasons. But COVID also played a part could be selfish of me but then in the same token none of them are going to take care of me if I get sick it's on me it's, this is my battle you know so I had to politely say hey you know giving given a b c and d unfortunately I can't be in your in this this wedding I can't partake and she even had a gathering after the fact and it's just like be well god bless I'm sorry um and I really, really meant that. It was more personally than it was anything else. But also, I have to be honest, I say COVID did play a part. I think that um, that point goes back to what you said in the beginning about people having to die alone. Um, and it makes me think about if I was home or even if my sister was alive. I probably would have picked up a long time ago, moved back home, work remotely, and quarantine with them. Understood. Because if anything happened to any one of us, we would have been able to be there for each other. Right. In this moment, if something happens to me, that's it. It's just me. And that's what's fueled my cautiousness. Like, visiting home is important, but if I catch COVID... Even if I catch COVID, I'm at home. They still can't be with me. Mm -hmm. If I catch COVID, I'm here. They damn sure can't be here with me. Mm -hmm. So I only have me in a sense. And I can, I can deal with living alone, a life of isolation, but dying alone when I could have prevented it just doesn't seem like something I'm willing to risk. Even though one would say, well, if you're living alone, doesn't matter what take you out, you could possibly die alone. But it's just something about the thought of having to conclude a life of isolation with dying in isolation without that choice. Yeah. Really doesn't seem like it's, it's something I want to even think about going through. And even though seeing them even though there's a chance I could not go home, be safe, still get COVID and still die alone, the risk of traveling to get there to see them, mm -hmm. I'd rather have my last memories be of what they were in 2018, even though they weren't that great, than to take that chance and come back and still battle something yeah. like COVID alone. Do you think that the fear of dying, because people I think innately have a fear of dying, but the fear of dying alone, do you think that if people really thought about that, they would be a tad bit more cautious or give second thought to their actions? Let's just think about mindfulness. Somebody can walk down the street 
let's just say pre-COVID, bump into you and look at you like you did something wrong. They're not mindful of, oh, I'm taking up space. Or I was in the wrong. To extend it, a simple excuse me or I'm sorry. And that's the same thing with this. They're not mindful. They don't. People don't look at the entire spectrum or picture of things. Um, I think if people took a step back to realize, like, this is no walk in the park. Recently, I seen Ice-T, rapper, actor, talk about his father-in-law, mm-hmm. who was an anti-COVID, anti-masker, and spent 40 days in ICU with double pneumonia and COVID. Now, a believer. It shouldn't take what uh, our ancestors used to say, fat... Uh, Fat meat greasy, that 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 thing, yeah. It shouldn't take that. It shouldn't take all those, you know, colloquialisms and everything else for you to understand. Like you're messing with people's lives. Honestly, when I put my mask on, I feel like I'm putting my mask on for everyone else, um, and then me. But that's just I believe in servant leadership, and that's how I mentally and emotionally operate. And it makes me think. Your question makes me think about the sigh of relief I had, and I know it sounds crazy, but the sigh of relief I had for uh, when my grandmother passed. She passed in November of 2019. And uh, stage four breast cancer, four years, fought it, stubborn, didn't want to go anywhere. Um, It was a sigh of relief when I thought about it in hindsight. And if I can say, I think about March, I was like, I'm kind of glad she got up out of here. Um, because she did have her bouts with pneumonia twice during that time period of, um, you know, chemo and post-chemo and um, whatnot, she did have that. So just think about the frailty of and the fragility of what and where she was during that time period before passing. And I couldn't imagine now, let's say if she was still here and now was her time and there's COVID going on, you can barely go into hospitals to be with loved ones. They, they would have had a time on their hands with me. So in hindsight, I say, you know, I'm glad that, like, excuse me, life took its course when she was ready. You know, her, her declaration was, I just want to go peacefully in my sleep, just float along, and that's what she did in, uh, in November. So in hindsight, it's like, I'm glad you got out of here on your own accord. I'm glad you got out of here before this COVID mess because... Who knows? Who knows? I think there's so many things that we do that's become such a ritual to keep not just ourselves, but other people safe. Like smoking in restaurants. You remember when they had a smoking section, a non-smoking section, but then realized that secondhand smoke was just as bad. If not worse. If not worse (laughs) than sitting at the table. And so banning smoking in airplanes which still the fact that people were smoking on airplanes still get me to this day but not smoking in public places and then now i'm not sure if this is really true in illinois but not being able to smoke in a car with underage kids yes we don't do that anymore out of the safety of other people mm-hmm. we wear our seat belts for us but also for other people mm-hmm. we get car insurance for ourselves and other people. Other people huh? We do so many things as a precautionary tale for us and other people. I don't understand why masks can't be one of those things. 
where you just get used to having it and you do it for yourself and other people and that's just the way it is some folks have to see it to believe it I'm gonna be honest with you I used to be the worst texter and driver I used to be the worst like I can literally probably drive a good three four blocks type a whole 18 page text message and be fine I've been a driver all my life my visual acuity is strong like I've never had any f-fault accidents never ticketed you name it like a perfect ass driver right until this one time in 20 I want to say this was 2017 I was going to a training and I literally was rolling to the stop sign but I picked up my phone to text I thought that I was at my stop sign and I could have literally killed this lady that was in the middle of the street why because I had chose to pick up my phone I chose the arrogance and the, I can't even call it confidence. That was arrogance to pick up my phone. And I'm like, oh, I'm rolling to a stop. I'm cool. To text or to check my phone, whatever I was doing, and literally roll past, almost roll past my stop sign. Had she been more in the middle of the, the walkway, I would have seriously injured her if not killed her. I wasn't speeding or anything, but vehicles are vehicles. And she was a small person. And I literally, and at that moment, my life kind of changed because... I could have been in jail, could have had my driver's license revoked, so on and so forth, that I went around the block. And I, when I approached her, I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry I'm not stalking you or anything. I said, but I need to apologize to you. I said, I am sorry. I said, that was completely my fault. I admitted my wrong, it was my mistake. And I apologized. And she, we had a small conversation. She thanked me for, you know, doing so. And it was just like, why do we have to see something to believe it? I'm not saying that I'm perfect now and I don't pick up my phone at a stop sign or, well, more so a red light. But that moment, I don't do the whole texting and driving. If anything, I'll voice memo you or voice memo or whatever the case may be. I would not. So why do we have to see something to believe it? In the same example of I see that uh, father-in-law. Like, why? I think it's a, I think it's it's human behavior. I think we fight against human behavior a lot. The nuances of of not being, I don't want to say perfect, but completely rational beings, because th that's the same thing that makes us spontaneous and fun and rebellious. A lot of our great moments are born out of that. But in this moment, we're looking at a lot of harm is being done because people need to see the impact before they and again, when I think about this in terms of, of people back home, I think it's the lack of knowledge. You know, Governor McMaster, and I believe that's his name, is not having daily COVID briefings with mm -hmm. the state of South Carolina. I thought about that in your previous statement about Chicago. Yeah, he's not, he's not, He. I just saw an article in the Post Care about bar owners are upset that he's shutting bars down at 11 p.m. because they're missing the opportunity for people to have a dinner nightcap. I can't tell you how many times I was in my house in my apartment in North Charleston. I was like, you know what we need at 10 p.m.? A drink. Never, hmm. because things in the South close early anyway. When, mm -hmm. when Chicago started to close things early, I was like, oh, these South Carolina hours. Yeah, I can get used to this again because I've lived this life. 
I'm used to everything closing at six, seven. So to see headlines like that, it's like, it's human behavior. I, I don't, I guarantee you again, there's not many people that's like, oh, you know, we need to go get a nightcap. It's 10 p.m. gym, it's time for us to go out and get a nightcap. Most Southerners are usually sleep by nine because we eat dinner at three and <laughs> breakfast at 5 a.m. But it's disheartening. I'm glad that a lot of people have dodged the COVID bullet back home. So it seems, just for my small circle. But it's really disheartening to see that because most of the southern major cities are still operating. Miami, mm -hmm. Atlanta, mm -hmm. Charlotte, because they're still thriving. I'm like, oh, well, we need to be in the house for we even a smaller city. Mm -hmm. We live further apart. So let's go celebrate our birthdays at Chili's. <laughs> and now Chili employees have to go to work because there's a demand because mm -hmm. people are outside. Yeah. And because it's, there's no real winter. You know, you can still go to the beach because it's still a 40-degree day, even though that's considered a winter day back home. So I think it's human behavior. And even if there's some people, even if they get COVID, they beat COVID, that knocking is the furnace. Um, I understand. <laughs> but the people may not. They may think that someone's beating down the door. Um... I saw this BuzzFeed article about someone who I think had COVID and was talking about the symptoms and someone in the comments was like, I just beat COVID. It's not that bad. And somebody commented on that and was like, don't say that. Like, keep... Keep you keep your narrative to yourself. Like we don't need any more. Oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. Language because we we are still in the middle of an administration who still perpetrated that language, and so the comments went on and on. And the only reason why I kept reading the comments is because while everyone was teaming up on the people who were saying COVID wasn't that bad, someone said to another person, replied to them and said. I bet your family tree looks like a ladder, doesn't it? And Jeez. that's something that we say back home because of the stereotype that Southerners keep it in the family. Yeah. And the fact that we, or people, not we, but people assimilate ignorance to Southern people or that Southern thought, mm -hmm. I think that, I think for Southerners included specifically, that's the kind of the thing that hold us back. Um, that's why we are the last to last to receive anything, information, resources. resources. It's just really hard to convince people in general that something is a public need. It's even more difficult to convince a southerner of something. I used to think that Chicagoans were non-trusting people and that you couldn't convince a Chicagoan nothing in the immediate moment, but you really, really can't change a Southerner's mind about much stuff. I understand. No, don't. <laughs> so, yeah, I said all that to say that I think most of my frustration and the reason why 
it's really hard for some people to see how deadly something can be until it hits home. Um, it's because of human nature, but also because of cultural cultural things. I really feel like I, uh, hmm. I feel like I learned that uh, again with my grandmother passing, um, and not so much just culturally, but like just within the family, if you will, just that human nature of, oh, this is the part I played. This is the I, me, we um, aspect mm -hmm. that um, that really plagues. And I'm going to say the black family uh, because I see it more with us than I see it with anybody else that, oh, because this is the role I play, I have it worse. And, you know, not really taking into account the actual full spectrum of death, grief, and, and dying. Like, I wasn't exposed to it as a child. This is my first in 36 years experience, 35 at that point, but 36 years experience of dealing with grief. And I had to find out how to deal with it in a healthy way. Like, I've worked in the school system, so yes, I've lost students. I lost um, a student very close to me uh, on my basketball team, just a ray of sunshine. And in losing her, it just seems like my whole way of working with students changed. And then I lost another one. Then I went to an alternative school where I literally, within like a two to three month span, every week had CPD coming to inform me that either I had lost a student or I had a student that was shot. And it was honestly more so of lost than, oh, this one just got shot and we just trying to figure out some information. It was like, hey, we regret to inform you, so on and so forth. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. So between those examples, um, I never had a healthy introduction to death, grief, and actually the whole dying process. So it becomes human nature for us to say, oh, you know, um, I'm glad that they're no longer in pain. Oh, you know, that type of deal. But what about you as the individual? How do you work with those things? You know, going back to when I was working in the school system, like the show had to go on. I had to teach my kids how to go through the bereavement process when I didn't know personally how to go through the bereavement process and, you know, embrace each step and so on and so forth. So when you talk about human nature and you know the push and the pull and it just makes me think about you know just my own personal experience but again like I said in the black community like it's a real I, I, I type of deal versus a collective so is that really human nature or is it an individual based human nature I think American American culture it's a very individualistic culture. That's why we're, quote-unquote, the most powerful, you know, in the world. We, <clears throat> the American dream is built off the backs of individuals. In, wow. Individualism and the bootstrapping concept of, you know, pulling yourself up. All that is built on the shoulders of such and so. And unfortunately, it's taking a pandemic to 
I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to break down those systems, but pull back the veils of, of that culture. And I think a lot of the bootstrapping and ideology has been pushed upon, um, has been pushed upon black folks in particular because we are mainly in poverty. And, you know, we've been told to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps many times. And that's why resources, <laughs> that's why your resources are, are limited. That's why you live in the ghetto. That's why you can't feed your family. That's why you don't have, you know, a sustainable wage. And so we take what's been thrown at us and then we sometimes regurgitate it within our own families, within our own culture. I think a lot of black culture is really just rhetoric that's been thrown at us, you know? And your, your, your black families do a lot of what's been done to them. It's a continuous cycle. And so I think that's why it's harder to, to make black people understand Or it's just harder for black people to understand because there's a lot of cycles to break a lot of slave mentality oh we about to talk about breaking <laughs> generational curses and transgenerational curses let me sit up let me talk to the mic <laughs> let me let me adjust 